Welcome to the Focus Forward Business Podcast for SteadyMcKee.com. How's your business going? I mean, really going. If your answer is, well, some of it's great, and well, some of it's not so great, then the first thing you need to know is you are not alone. And there is a way to get more great and less not so great. So check out the 12 Focus Forward Pillars at SturdyCoaching.com. The 12 Focus Forward Pillars are the structure that you need in your business to give you the time and space to pursue your business passion. That's the 12 Focus Forward Pillars at SturdyCoaching.com. Hey, welcome, and thank you for listening or watching the Focus Forward Business Podcast, where we share the journeys, stories, and lessons of amazing entrepreneurs. I'm Sturdy McKee. Uh, my programs help business owners to bring structure out of chaos and make more profit um, while making the world a better place, and I am your host for the podcast. Uh, today, I'm super happy to bring you Sarah Rich-Lewis, who is a feminist business strategist and coach. Sarah helps business women business owners uh, swap the hamster wheel for increased revenues without sacrificing their lives. Um, thank you so much for being here, Sarah. Well, thank you for having me, Sturdy. That's awesome. So will you please tell the folks a little bit more about who you are and what you do? Sure. Um, so I, I always like to orient with where I live. Uh, I yeah. am a Canadian. I live on Prince Edward Island, which is a tiny little island on the east coast of Canada. We have about 155,000 people live in this whole place. Um, and so that's where I live. I help business owners, um, you know, sort of specifically women and gender minorities um, grow their business in, and really with a focus on two things, so, solid self-care, growing a business in a way that doesn't, you're creating a business that works for your life and not a life that you have to kind of squeeze in around your business. And we know that as small business owners, we are the greatest asset in our business, and yet we don't always treat ourselves as such. So a big focus of what I do is supporting um, folks to to really figure out what that means for them. And then because I love strategy and planning so much, I really see that it's sort of that two-pronged approach. One is about building in really good self-care and taking care of the greatest asset. And the other is really knowing what it is that you're doing, where it is that you're going. I, I believe that we need to always have that vision for our business. Where is it that we want to get to? And then creating 90-day plans to help us get there. And I, I think that with that, we often feel, I often talk to people who feel really constrained by that. And the I had a conversation with some folks earlier today in a group, and it's like, um, your plan actually can the value of a plan is that it constrains and the value of a plan is that it doesn't have to constrain. As small business owners, if something comes along and there's a really great opportunity and it's not part of your plan, well, as long as it's still aligned with your vision, off you go, enjoy. Mm -hmm. No, I, that is that is awesome on so many fronts, right? The, I, Vern Harnish, it was, I've said this a couple of times, the fourth time through reading Scaling Up, I saw the phrase, routine will set you free. And it was the first time it clicked for me. And, but having a strategic plan, having, knowing what you're doing for the next 90 days, that moves you closer to your long-term goals, right? It's gotta be aligned. And that seems obvious, but there's also research out of Harvard Business that says 80% of companies that do it aren't. So that blew me away. 
Um, yeah. But yeah, you're, yeah, I, I, I could not endorse that concept any, anymore. I mean, that's, that's great. That's awesome. Um, so how did you get started? Well, you know, it's interesting. We have these winding, my path to entrepreneurship was very winding. Mm -hmm. And so I um, didn't start my business until I was well into my 40s. And I spent most of my career working in the not-for-profit sector. Mm -hmm. And I worked for a feminist organization and had a really great so good. So many amazing opportunities to support women, both at the individual level, but also to work on policy change and advocacy that made significant differences in women's lives at the big picture. The challenge in the not-for-profit sector is that you do end up in many ways capping out. And you cap out at the amount of leadership you can have, and you can cap out at the amount of money that you can earn. And you, for me personally, uh, and it's a common experience, is also experiencing burnout. And so I got to the place in my career where I just wasn't loving what I was doing anymore. And it took me a really long time to leave because I really loved what I did. I got paid. Um, to do really cool things. I got paid to be a feminist and that is not always, um, uh, not always an opportunity that people have. So I spent right. a lot of time figuring out what do I love about this job? What don't I love about this job? And I have a dear, dear friend who is, has, uh, you know, 30 years in business and she's a, a CFO and owns her own company. And at one point, probably five or six years ago, I said, I think I'm going to do my MBA. And she said, why? And I said, well, because I want to learn about business. And she said, oh, for God's sake, Sarah, if you want to learn about business, go and work in a business. And I was like, oh, okay, well, that's a good idea too. And get paid um, to learn. To learn. So I did. I went and um, worked for a startup. Um, in the food safety space, it was very different than what I had done in the past. And I was hired to help them kind of build strong foundations for this organization and for this business. And one of the sneaky things, my questions was, can I work for someone else? I've been an executive uh -huh. director. I've been a leader for many years. And the answer was no. And I, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> I, I, I can relate. <laughs> right? And I'm now entirely unemployable, I realize. Um, they were lovely, lovely employers and, uh, you know, still my dear friends. And part of what I realized is that I just wanted to, to try it. And <clears throat> I never ever thought of myself as a business owner. I never thought of myself as an entrepreneur. I never thought of myself as someone who could do this. And it was many, a number of years into my business before I realized that I grew up in an entrepreneurial family. Hmm. And my, my parents are, were lobster fishermen, uh, commercial fishermen. Right. And so I grew up in this little teeny tiny rural fishing community. But the thing is, as, as fishermen, your identity is so deeply to the core as a fisherman and a fishing family. Not a business owner. 
No, I had no idea. And I had this like bizarre, <laughs> my dad was had, had passed by the time I was like, oh, I grew up in an entrepreneurial family. I had no idea. So for me in those, so my journey was a little bit different and I'm really grateful that it took that winding path. And I would say that it was especially difficult as someone my whole career was in the not-for-profit sector. And as the, as the name denotes, the intention <laughs> is to not make a profit. Well. And so there was a bit of a, I, I often say that my first year in business was a, a massive crisis of confidence. Um, I, I went from a place of being um, well-known for my expertise, my experience, uh, you know, I'm, an expert in gender. And so to go from being the person that people went to as an expert to being the person who had absolutely no idea what they were doing and a fair bit of a crisis around how do I make money? I've never had to do that before in this kind of way. Right. Well, that's a that's another huge and important point, I think, because, you know, there are all these stats and I'm, you know, I read a bunch, right? But there are all these yeah. stats around 80% of businesses fail in the first five years. And, and you know, I'm, I'm a big believer in kind of these three types of work with the technical, the strategic, and the entrepreneurial. And most, most a big part of that reason is a lot of people go out because they're really good at the technical thing. They're an expert in that area, but they're an utter novice, you know, and I, I was at the strategic and entrepreneurial stuff. And, there's there's a real need for kind of humility and starting over and understanding that I might be really, really good at this, but this other thing I need to learn. And sometimes I see people get stuck on that and they kind of refuse to acknowledge that part of things and they really struggle, you know, instead of reaching out for help or, or like working with somebody like you who can go, well, let's figure out some strategy. Let's get you, you know, you hear that adage of working in your working on your business, not in your business. I, I swear I relate so much. I did, I was an entrepreneur before I knew how to spell it, right? And <laughs> and uh, and that idea of you know I heard working on your business, I didn't know what it meant, right? And you kind of yeah, just can you talk about that for a minute? That that, yeah, that mindset so and it, it, and it is such a mindset. So I think for me in those early days, in early year, it was figuring out what do I know and what do I know? What don't I know? Mm. And I, what I came to realize is running a not-for-profit and growing a not-for-profit um, from, you know, $200,000 in revenues to about 900,000 when I left, um, there's a whole lot of similarities and there's actually, you know, there's a lot of similarities between running a small not-for-profit and a small business sure. and figuring out that you know staffing and um budgets and strategy and because of the work that i did was all project based and we were always aligning to the big picture always aligning to what is the end goal and the end goal is gender equality it's a huge goal it's not one that's going to happen in my lifetime but always aligning to that um and being really strategic we never had enough money we never had re enough resources right. we never had enough authority, you know, all of those things. So needing to be deeply strategic. 
And what I see with, um, with the women in particular that I work with is exactly who you just talked about. Those are often the people that I work with, the people who have a deep subject matter expertise. And they know that they don't know this whole side of it. And as a result of that, have that same crisis of confidence that I had. What I, what I know is it's easily learned. You've already done the hard stuff. You've already figured out how to be the expert in the thing. I love, oh, probably more than, more than I should admit, I really love models and frameworks and any formulas, anything that we can do to cut through the confusion of life. And what I see about business is it's actually, it's so fun. I love what I do. And part of it is, you know, in, in the early days when I first started, I was really lucky. I had a friend, a couple of friends who had a business um, and they had grown really quickly. And you know what happens when you grow really quickly? A whole bunch of stuff breaks. And That's so they, they brought me in. They're like, okay, there's a whole bunch of stuff we need to sort out. Can you help us? And so I was helping them through all of these parts of their business um, that were challenging. And it was so gratifying and it was so exciting because I could see the solutions. I could see what they needed to do. And you know, you can create those processes, you can create those systems, you can figure out how to deal with the people. And that to me is fun and enjoyable and, and easy really in many ways. I, that's a, I love it. Cause so I would encourage anybody listening to this also to think about connecting with folks outside of your industry because we get so siloed and narrow-minded focused on like this it's unique to us and you just brought up the whole point of and i learned this in eo in the years i was there but 80 90 percent of all the stuff in the business is the same you're managing people you're planning strategy you're you know managing cash flow you're you know i mean you talk about the nonprofit. you're fundraising well that's sales you know you're marketing for awareness in all instances there's so much commonality across all of them. And the cool thing about connecting with folks in different industries or someone who, like you, who's in a position to, you see what's going on in all these different businesses all at the same time and have a history beyond that is you, you cross-pollinate, you learn stuff that they figured out. You don't have to reinvent the wheel, you know? And I think the other thing that I see over and over again is people we're all crazy, craving an elegant solution. And we all imagine that under the hood, behind the scenes of other people's businesses is beautiful. And it's not, <laughs> it's and, <laughs> you know, and, 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 and what I talk to people about all the time, I have clients um, sort of from startup all the way to, you know, the folks who are, are, are uh, scaling and, and wanting to, you know, sort of break through that seven figures is, it's just that new level, new devil. You get this one thing sorted out over here and you look and you're like, oh, great. There's a bonfire over here, I gotta sort out. Um, but it's, you take that experience and you know that it can be solved. Um, but I think that, I think that is the paralysis when you talk about that, you know, those folks who may not wanna 
to acknowledge that the need of the working in the business because they think that are the on the business. So they think there's an elegant solution. And once we realize that everybody's business at this stage is hacked together with duct, duct tape, bubble gum, and maybe a couple of <laughs> paper clips, then we're good. And we can release the perfectionism and just get down to business and do what needs to be done. Well, yeah, there's always a new challenge, a new problem. Yeah. Right. I mean, and, and that's, I kind of, you know, see that, learn that. But I, what I really like is when I'm talking to people who've been in business 30, 35 years and realize they're only starting to figure it out, right? Or, have, or may never, right? And they're kind of, and then that just, I, I, well, I try to think about that as not, not being hopeless, but being a new challenge, something that you, you know, keeps things interesting, but it's a little messy. So along those lines, what challenges are you currently running up against facing and, and working to overcome? Well, um, the same one that I've had for a really long time. How's that? What's that? Um, I live with a chronic illness, so I have Meniere's disease which is an imbalance of the fluid in the inner ear. And it causes dizzy spells, hearing loss, tinnitus, general misery when it's active. And right. so um, I've had it since I was a teenager. I had 10 glorious years when my kids were little where I had no episodes at all. And it came back again seven, eight years ago. And so when I started my business, I was in an active phase of Meniere's disease and it makes me really miserable. And I was driving home one day and I had um, a certain kind of disease spell. They're very uncommon for me, thankfully, but it's a drop spell and it's basically where the world just kind of flips upside down. And so I was aware that I needed to, you know, pull over. And so I basically pulled off the side of the road. I live in the country, so I was on a country road. Um, I pulled over and mostly just slowly drove into the ditch. And I didn't hurt myself and I didn't hurt my car. But what I did do is have one of those moments and a moment of, I am not in good health and I have, <laughs> gotten rid of all of the safety nets. My husband is a lobster fisherman. So we are now two entrepreneurs, one who has mother nature as a business partner. I'm going to tell you, she is not the best business partner. <laughs> no. um, so I really, I made a decision in a couple of days. And that decision was, if I'm going to do this, uh, if I'm going to live, if I'm, if I'm going to do this, I need to be at my best for those three or at that point, I was quite sick three or four days a week. So it's like those other three or four days a week, I need to get it together and be at my best because that's all that I've got. And so I created a 90 day plan. I didn't have, um, there was no smart goal. It was in 90 days, I would like to feel better than I do right now. And I made a decision to um, exercise, to change my eating, and to create a mindfulness practice. And that's almost four years in August um, since I made that decision. Um, I'd love to tell you that in 90, in 90 days, I did feel better. Um, and I still live with this. And it still has its cycles. Um, but 
in the last four years, I have figured out how to live with this. And I figured out how to, how to run a business and um, make space for those times when I really am feeling unwell. So I've doubled my revenues every year since then. Um, I've lost 80 pounds, um, which is a fringe, a side effect of um, exercise and <laughs> mindfulness and eating well. Eating yeah. well. Um, and, you know, I feel when I feel well, I feel really well. And I have great energy and and it is something that always is a factor. Sure. I, yeah, I don't think enough people realize how many folks are dealing with challenges like that. Um, but that brings up another another point. You know, people who are otherwise generally healthy are still struggling with time and prioritization and time management is what we like to call it. There are a lot of other words for it. But what what do you what are your tips or tricks or lessons, advice that you've learned to be able to get stuff done in whatever amount of time that you have? Yeah. Well, it's a great question, and it's actually um, I think also really accentuated by COVID. And by the year that we've had, whether it is, um, you know, with um, it, people's individual, I mean, COVID has been an individual experience for people. And what I keep hearing, and I really started hearing in the fall, was, um, you know, COVID fatigue and people being ground down and people not feeling well and some of those, you know, those challenges that, that we face, whether it's, you know, your industry is going gangbusters and you're exhausted or you're in a sector that has been really impacted, um, particularly for women. We know that women do 86% of all household chores um, and, you know, the lion's share mm -hmm. of childcare. And so when um, there's more stress and less support, what we're seeing is a lot of folks who are really struggling. Um, so I actually started writing a book. Um, it's, I, I have a book written called Playing Hurt, How to Keep Growing Your Business Even When You Don't Feel Like It. <laughs> and what I did was create um, some guiding principles. And mm -hmm. so I think if we have, we have our guiding principles of how to do this, how to play her. And, and you know, the biggest one goes back to what I talked to you about in the beginning is looking after yourself. Um, that is why I, I am the shining example of what, of the importance of looking after yourself. I don't have any other choice. I know that if I don't look after myself, then my business suffers, my health suffers, my family suffers, my clients suffer. Um, so I do feel a strong sense of responsibility to myself and other people. Um, I think the biggest thing that, um, that we can do to keep going when times are tough is you know, to be kind and gentle with ourselves and also firm. And so you know, that kind and gentle is being okay, like we beat ourselves up all of the time with the coulds and the shoulds and the probablys and if I had have done that. And the reality is you're not helping anybody by doing that. So there are those times when you really do need to be kind and gentle with yourself. And the firm comes from, you know, that is, and now it's time to pick yourself up 
and do the thing that you need to do. That's, that's great. I appreciate that. Um, so what's your proudest moment in your business, your entrepreneurial journey so far? Oh, that's such a good question. <laughs> um, I'm really proud of, I, I think the thing that I'm probably most proud of for myself is my ability to move um, and imperfect action. I talk all the time about done is better than perfect. Let's just move forward. And that is something I needed to learn. So if we hearken back to the not-for-profit days, if you've got an idea and you are in the not-for-profit sector, you've got this brilliant idea, you take it to your board, they have a conversation about it. And then they say, yeah, that makes sense. So then you write a funding proposal for it. And um, so it goes off to, you know, often I worked with government, so it would go to a government agency. Um, and nine months later, they would come back and say, that's a great idea, you should do that, and here's some money. And often the first phase of the project with the work that I did was consultation. Um, so then we would make the plan, create the project plan, and then we would consult with community. And so the idea generation to implementation often took a year, 18 months, 24 months. And so when I went into business for myself, I was often really quite blown away by the speed at which entrepreneurs work. And so I think for myself, I'm really proud of my learned ability to do done is better than perfect. Let's just do it. Let's start today and see what happens. I mean, I still like to plan, still like to have a strategy, but I move a heck of a lot quicker. Um, so I think that's for me, when I think about um, other, you know, sort of that proud moment, I'm always, a lot of what I do is, so, 86% of women-owned businesses make less than $100,000 a year. And my proudest moments come when I'm working with clients and I see their confidence grow and their ambition grow. And, you know, the clients who come to me and, you know, they maybe have this tiny, the reason why they come is because they have some ambition and some desire, but they're not even really even ready to talk about it yet. And so when they get to that, being able to talk about money, to talk about their revenues, to talk about ambitious growth in their business, that is always a proud moment for me. No, that's great. I didn't know that, that number, 86% under 100K, but um, I don't want that to overshadow only either. 2%. Your... Yeah, only 2% over seven figures for women. Right. I think it's about 4% total right so does that mean that's yeah 50% yeah. of the sorry less than 50% success on that or parity um but I don't want that to overshadow the lesson that you just shared though the imperfect action and done is better than perfect because that's a theme that's come up over and over on the podcast it's come up you know with so many clients I know you've dealt with that when you're out there on your own, there isn't the safety net. You got to take action. You got to do something now. And that's so much better than, you know, or usually more effective than trying to wait until it's polished and shiny and perfect, right? One of something. my first 
Um, one of the first things that I did when I went into business for myself is I took a coaching program out of the US and it was really great. I didn't have no idea what I was doing. And there was people at all different levels who were like way beyond that. I didn't even know what they were talking about half the time, but I was like, this is great. And one of the presenters one time said, um, if you're not a little bit ashamed and embarrassed by your first offer, your first product, your first whatever, you waited too long to launch. And I took that, <laughs> I mean, is that not the most freeing thing in that's, the world? Yes, that's a, and that's, yes, that grounds it, that makes it really tangible. That's awesome. Well, I mean, you're doing it right now, right? Like, if you're not just a little bit embarrassed by those first podcasts that you did where you were awkward and you didn't know what to do and you weren't quite sure about your questions, you waited too long to do it. And the only way that you get better at podcasting is by doing podcasts. Right, right. No, absolutely. And interviewing, whether it's on this format or hiring, you know, I again, dealing with people hiring folks and they're, they're, they don't, they don't have a good framework for interviewing and they're like trying to find that ideal person before they talk to them. It's like, just have people come in, practice, yeah. get to know them. I mean, cause otherwise you're going to miss somebody too, but, but yeah, do it, do it. Um, no, that's a, another, another great one. Thank you. Um, so what's the biggest thing you learned recently you wish you had learned back 10 years ago? Oh my gosh. I wish I had known that I had an entrepreneurial spirit. Um, 10 years ago, I, I think th that for me is probably the thing I, I, I I'm, I'm grateful I found it and I, I am doing right now. I'm having such a delightful time. Um, I created, there's an organization here locally called, uh, creative PEI and they, they have a great tagline, which is something around improving the incomes and outcomes of creative entrepreneurs. And so we're doing, they engaged me and we're, we, cre I created a creative entrepreneur training program. And uh, we're, I, I created this program. There's eight weeks um, where they have, you know, a curriculum and a workbook and videos and, and we have coaching sessions. And these folks, many of the, you know, there's a few who are older, but many of them skew in their twenties. And so, you know, one of those first, things for me is like, I'm so excited for you that you have figured this out. We all want to create that life that we want. And one really great way of doing that is through entrepreneurship. And so I'm excited for them that they have had that, they're getting to do that when they're in their 20s. And yeah, I think for me, that that would be a big one is, is just knowing that you can do it, knowing that you can do things that aren't perfect and people will still pay you for them. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love it. Um, so tell, tell me a little bit more, well, about your book and what inspired you and then um, any other business books or articles, things that you think would be great resources for folks listening to this. Sure. So what inspired my book was I was on a, on a webinar um, in September, October, uh, with a, a woman that I follow and I really admire, and I think she's amazing. And she was really, it was sort of this conversation about how women business owners, that was the focus, are not okay. 
and they weren't doing well. And, you know, and, and so a lot of people on this call were like, I'm not doing well, I'm really struggling. Uh, you know, I, this is really hard for me. And I had a moment of like, oh, okay, well, I'm all right. Um, and it's not to say that COVID hasn't been challenging and there haven't been really terrible things have happened in this last year. But what I realized is that in the early days of the pandemic, that same friend that I referenced, um, we made a, con we, we had a conversation and the conversation was, this is going to get really hard. And so we need to double down on our self-care. We need to double down, triple down on taking care of ourselves. And so I have been working on this stuff for such a long time and, and intentionally doubled down on it. And I realized at that point that, oh, I have all of this stuff that I can share. I know how to do this. I know how to play hurt. I know how to grow a business, even when you can't get out of bed. And I want to share that with people. So that was the inspiration for it. No, that's awesome. Yeah. And there were a whole lot of other people in the same boat who didn't know what to do. Yeah. And I, I feel like if you have, you know, I mean, you talked about it at the beginning of the podcast, it's like in service to others. And if you have something that you know can help people, then I do feel that there's a, a strong inspiration to do that. And it feels weird. I'm not super um, comfortable with um, talking about myself. I really like talking about my clients. Um, and so part of it is it feels weird. And yet it is important. It is important to talk about um, how, how we do this. And it's really one step forward, two steps back, one step forward, five steps back, have a little rest, keep on going. And so the way that I've created my book is um, there are these guiding five guiding principles of playing hurt. And then the second section of the book is really just, it's a manual, it's a how-to. It's a thing that you can open to any page and be like, you know, read the one little section, be like, okay, that, there I am. That's what I'm doing. That's a message for today. Go off mm -hmm. and do it because all of this stuff is iterative, right? All of it is, um, you do it, you figure out what worked, what didn't work, you do it again. Right. Well, this is good. You didn't wait too long. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So in terms of other books, um, yeah. I really love Profit First by Mike Michalowicz. Um, <laughs> It's a favorite um, for really, you know, we want to grow businesses that are profitable. Um, and he gives a really great framework on how to do that. Uh, the other one that I, there's a couple that I really love, um, The War of Art. I don't know who wrote it, but it's really great. War of and Art. The War of Art. And The Big Leap. Um, those are the ones that I'm sort of thinking about right now. And when we get off this call, I'll think of all of the other ones I didn't say. Of course, are, but, yeah, but we don't, we, right now. Yeah, we don't need dozens, right? Everybody's got too, too many things to uh -huh. read and pursue yeah. as it is. No, that's great. Okay, I'll, I'll check those out too, because I'm definitely not familiar with the War of Art. And, uh, oh, it's a good out. one. It's one like the one I'm writing. It's a nice little, mm -hmm. and it's really about your creative process and and moving through those blocks, right? Moving through the resistance. It's, it's definitely worth, and I like it because it's, you know, anything that is entrepreneurial bite-sized pieces, if I can read two pages and take something away, I'm good. Right, right, right. Well, in that, um, oh my goodness, what you just said with the 
being creative, being able to work through the creative process, when you have the structure on, you know, you have the underpinnings for the business, then you can move into that. But when you're, for so many folks, when they're dealing with that, the urgencies, the day-to-day, -day, the putting out fires, all that stuff, it can really wear them down and distract and they, they don't have a chance to move into that creative space. So uh, we'll rewind, go back to what Sarah said earlier about structure and planning and all those things so that you can move into that creative um, mindset and all as well. So um, thank you so much. Is there anything else, any other thoughts you wanna leave us with before we wind down? Super practical. As you're thinking about your plan, you know, if you decide I wanna do a plan, here's what is so important. You know, you've got your vision, you know, you know, you've got your vision, you're going to brainstorm all of the things that you can do to get you to that vision. And then the important piece that people often don't do is look at your own calendar, look at your own time. So the difference between working in your business and working on your business, there are 63 business days in a quarter, if we take away average stats, five day a week. So what I want, what I really encourage you to do is go to your own calendar and look at what client work do I have to do? What are the regular operations of my business to keep this thing afloat? What is my time away, you know, in the world where maybe we'll go on a holiday again? Uh, do you have to take your kids to the dentist? All of those things, look at your time. So you've got your 63 days, the time that you've spent in your business, the time that you're spending away from your business, what you have left is the time to work on your business. So if you have three business days in your quarter, which is a very real possibility, then yeah. your plan needs to align with that. Because what we often see is the 90 days, um, you know, and somebody's beaten themselves up because all the stuff that they didn't do, when we actually look at the practical reality of it, they didn't have enough time. So right. create a plan, you know, do that realistic. What? And then make sure it's realistic. And that is a really good, simple, easy, practical way of figuring out if your plan is realistic. No, that's great. Thank you. That that's an awesome uh, idea and lesson to kind of wind down with. So thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. I, I, I mean, just, this was great. There's so many take-homes from what you shared today that I just really, really appreciate it. Um, in the comments and stuff, or the, the description will give you how to get in touch with Sarah as well. But uh, thank you so much again for being here. Well, thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Mm -hmm.